0: Welcome, everybody, to Maximum Libertarian's Podcast. I am Brian. You can go to MaximumLibertarian.com to find out all the great ways you can help us out. Um, so we're starting off the new year with an interview with the Libertarian National Committee's Chair, Angela McCardle. She spoke to the Roanoke Valley Libertarians this past Wednesday. January tenth, and she talked about in the deep state rally, which is taking place February seventeenth, and she also speaks about the Libertarian National uh, Party's convention. So please sit back, grab your adult beverage or your water or whatever, and let's listen to Angela McCardle talk about the. Uh, Different issues. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, this is Angela McArdle She is the LNC chair um, right now. What I invited her to come and speak to us, what I wanted to, to talk about is on February 17th, this Defeat the Deep State rally. And you can find more information at uh, Rage Against the War. Let me get that. Um, RageAgainstWar.com Yes, rage com, and then also we're going to talk about uh, the LP National Convention which happens May 23rd and 27th. So uh, um, go ahead, Anna, if you would like uh, and tell us about the meeting or the rally.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I'm really excited that yep. we're going to Put together another rally uh, last February. Uh, the Libertarian Party partnered with a smaller left-wing populist third party called the People's Party, and we got together and we said, you know, war is such it's it's such a serious issue. The way things are looking with Ukraine and Russia right now, and NATO, uh, NATO's encroachment on Russia's border, and how they're reacting to that. You know, like we really need to step up and say something, and. You know, we were pleased that a handful of sort of dissident right wingers were agreeing that war was bad because, you know, Republicans are generally fairly good with fiscal policy, um, but not so good with foreign policy. And so we were we were pleasantly surprised to see that, you know, some working class people and and alternative right wing media voices were pushing back against it. But of course, the Republicans who were elected into Congress and the Senate, they were mostly just going right along with it so we were really concerned because you're like wow you've got a majority of people in congress who who might be okay with with literally going to war so we got together and we we reached out to as many anti-war groups as we could lots of them left-wing people who were a little bit skeptical nervous to work with libertarians they've heard uh, that we like war or they've heard that we just hate poor people or that i don't know we kick orphans and widows you know ridiculous things and And I said, well, why don't you set all those uh, misconceptions aside and let's work together on this because, you know, this is a unifying moment for us. We're all concerned about what is a very real existential threat. We don't want our government spending all of our taxpayer dollars um, to support foreign wars, especially unconstitutional wars. We don't want to see the soldiers and drafted um, people who did not sign up, you know, to be in the military in Ukraine. We don't want to see them put through the meat grinder of war. We don't want to see Russian soldiers murdered. The whole thing is just a nightmare. And uh, so many people came and supported the cause. They got involved. They sponsored. We held uh, an amazing rally. We had about 3,000 attendees in person from the left and the right. We had Ron Paul, Dennis Kucinich, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Jill Stein, a lot of really powerful speakers there, uh, Scott Horton, members of the dissident left as well, people like Max Blumenthal, who um, Chris Hedges. It was really amazing. It was It was really exciting and it was um it was a very positive event. It was very high energy. I felt very blessed to co-host it and to lead it with Nick Brana. Um, the chair of the People's Party, and we're getting the gang back together and we're doing it again this year. So this year, what we're really talking about is the deep state and how the deep state needs to be abolished if we want to end these forever wars and United States wars for empires overseas. Those are, I think, the, they're very important concepts and they're very extremely connected. And we don't always talk about how the deep state props up the war machine. And and so we've decided, you know what, we're going to hold a rally about it. We're going to jump right in. So we are in the planning stages right now. We've got uh, Dan McAdams of the Rompel Institute signed on to speak. We've got Gerald Salente, who I absolutely adore. We've got Keith Knight of the Libertarian Institute. We have Craig Pasta He's a a left-wing anti-war advocate. You've got... uh, A handful of others that are about to announce, Uh, Tara Reid is going to be sending in a message. And certainly we're inviting back a lot of our big name speakers like Dennis Kucinich, Kim Iverson, um, and so on and so forth. And we're going to be trying to get our libertarian presidential candidates involved, too. Uh, Let's talk about the list of demands. Uh, You know, we want to really highlight how important it is for Julian Assange to be freed. That's our number one demand for this rally. Julian Assange has a court date coming up in London. It's scheduled for February 20th and 21st. And uh, they're going to decide at that date whether or not they're shipping him back to the United States. And, um, you know, his brother, Gabriel Shipton, made this really powerful documentary called Ithaca that explains the trials and tribulations of Julian Assange since he's been wrongfully incarcerated and detained, you know, without, um, without trial and due process. It's quite atrocious. Um, you know, there've been CIA plots to poison him. He's been spied on in the Ecuadorian embassy. Uh, They're slowly trying to kill him and it's, and it's really awful. And so we really want to highlight that. We want to highlight how important his freedom is. He's not committed any crimes. He's actually not a whistleblower. He's just a journalist. He never took an oath uh, to not disclose documents. He, he never came across anything like in his line of work that he had pledged to not disclose. He is literally a reporter. Uh, it's no different than a New York Times reporter, except, you know, maybe there are some people at the New York Times who (laughs) might be a little bit more deserving of this terrible treatment, but, um, yeah, it's about journalistic integrity. It's about, uh, freedom of speech. If it could happen to Julian Assange, it could happen to anyone. He's not even a United States citizen. He's Australian. He's been held now for ten years, and um, we just gotta we've gotta we've got to get him free. Uh, we also want to highlight the importance of pardoning all whistleblowers and people like Edward Snowden. We want to see the abolition of the FBI, the CIA, the uh, the NSA, the Department of Homeland Security, um, there's an ice cream truck going by me right now. I don't know if you can hear it. It's quite loud. Um, we want to abolish the military-industrial complex, and you know, we demand for what people on the left call the abolition of the corporate state, which is when things like the, the when the United States government takes over Twitter to the point that it becomes uh, effectively a, a mouthpiece of the state, and all that uh, crazy stuff that we saw. Um, when the Twitter files were released. Uh, And the same thing of course happens with Facebook and Google and how Google is now, you know, acting as a mouthpiece for government to to censor things and call them uh, a sensitive event and and rewrite history at the direction of the United States government. So we have come together to uh, highlight all of the abuses of the deep state, to call for an end to it, and to say that the United States should not engage in war overseas. That we should not be propping up um, regimes over overseas. That we shouldn't be enabling NATO to encroach on other countries' borders. You know, especially not with our tax dollars, and try to foment war overseas. You know, no more American, you know, violent empire. We we want peaceful foreign policy. We are ready to join forces with people of other political backgrounds to to make it happen, and and we're excited to do it. So our rally is uh, February 17th in front of the Washington Memorial in uh, Washington, D.C., 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. We will continue to release the names of our speakers over the next couple of weeks. Very excited. And um, yeah, if you're interested in um, attending, we would love for you to attend. And of course, we're still fundraising right now and looking for additional sponsors. We have to raise quite a bit of cash in order to pay for the stage, the sound system, uh, security, the um we have to have porta potties you know all that good stuff so if you're uh, interested in checking it out and you'd like to support us please visit defeatthedeepstate.org or rageagainstwar.com okay from
0: the last rally how did it do for our membership and fundraising
1: um the, something that's really nice is we were able to get contact information for a bunch of potential new prospects. Uh we had people decide that they were going to get active again in the party after that rally. It was a huge boost for us internally. Um yeah, it it greatly it greatly expanded our prospecting list for for members and donors. Good. Does anyone have a question
0: about the rally? Coming up. Okay. Um, so that's great to hear that y'all are doing that. That was one thing that I've always wanted to see the LP do. And I haven't, for the time that I've been here, and it's only been since 2010, really, I've never really seen the LP get out there
1: and do. I want, I yep. want to see a flash of some sort. That was and, the biggest non presidential related event um, that the Libertarian Party has ever done. Really. That's yeah. good to hear. And I know y'all you get a lot of backlash and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I watch from X and Twitter
0: and or whatever you want to call it. And um it's kinda of disheartening because you know, you wanna want see people rally together.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: a little bit more than what they do. Okay. So um February seventeenth, eleven five. Now we are gonna talk about the national convention. The LP is are gonna be in D C yes Um, how is that going right now is the ticket sales and we're gonna have a good turnout
1: oh yeah ticket sales are looking good i believe we last month december we sold about forty four thousand dollars worth of convention packages and this month we've already sold over eleven thousand dollars in convention revenue so it is looking uh really good uh, we still do need to sell more, but I'm very uh, you know, optimistic it's early. You know, we've got several months until the convention. We are going to be having uh, some really awesome speakers that we're going to be releasing uh, this week. We've got a comedy night lined up. I have scoured, scoured, scoured the Internet and the comedy scenes to bring you really good libertarian comedy. Um, and so I'm very excited that that's going to be happening. We have a guy coming who. Uh, a very good Bitcoin expert. Can I hear that? idea yeah, What that noise is. Weird. Um, we have, what else have we got? We've got, um, we've got Bitcoin. We've got a prominent member of the medical freedom community who is coming, I'm just giving you teasers since we haven't officially launched it yet. And I don't want to spoil it. Um, Bitcoin, we've got a day of training planned right now. We're doing an online series of of courses called LP Masterclass, where we have uh, the best libertarians who are teaching you how to do petitioning, how to do signature gathering, um, all things related to ballot access. Uh, Carla Howell is doing a course called Who's Driving that I think is very excellent about uh, driving the narrative. and you know, doing it from a position of strength and radicalism in a way that's also professional. We've got, what have we got. there's a class happening tonight, actually, at 8 p.m. Eastern. Hmm. We've got four or five speakers. We've got Nathan Fatal of the Leadership Institute doing courses. Uh, we have one non-libertarian, Jose Vega, who has done the uh, viral town hall disruptions on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He is going to be teaching everybody how to go viral at these town halls if you want to do it, how to make it successful, and how to make sure you get a lot of media attention for it. Um, We've got a couple other courses, and just can't think of them all off the top of my head. But that's some some really good stuff, and we're going to be continuing it uh, live in person at the convention. Oh, Diego with um, Defend the Guard and Bring Our Troops Home. He's also doing trainings uh, live at National. Okay, uh, that's good because I know you had,
0: did you say Bill Redpath because I know he was on there?
1: Yes, like yeah, he's doing one on petitioning. In fact, I think he did the first one, which was like a teaser class back in October, and we're doing it again. Cool. Um, so, I don't know if you've announced, are you planning on running for chair again? Yeah, absolutely. I am. I am running uh, for chair again. I'm going to be a, a a two-term chair. That's my intention. Uh, I think three terms is too much, uh, but two is good. It's a tremendous amount of work to take an organization that needs to be upgraded and slog through all of the bureaucratic mess um, to the point where you can make change and do it quickly. So we, uh, yeah. We had um, we had a a lot of work in the beginning, but we are now moving at like rapid speed.
0: Right. What has uh, been your success and failures when you look back?
1: Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So let me talk about like challenges, successes and, you know, vision for the future. So, you know, I think one of my failures, and this is going to be controversial, you know, the the less controversial one first is I underestimated the degree of bitterness and infighting that would happen after the Reno convention. I thought that people would be more willing to work together and and, um, get along. And and that was that was not correct, obviously. Um, If I could do things differently, I would have I would have aggressively changed staff right at the beginning of the of the term i thought that was going to be too ugly i thought staff is gonna do whatever i i ask them to do you know within reason and that was just not the case um there they were not they didn't want to to go with the new administration and so there was a tremendous amount of sabotage there was a lot of fighting with staff, uh, tremendous clashes between new staff and, and old staff. And it was just very ugly. It slowed us down quite a bit. Uh, you know, that puts me in a position where I had to be careful that I don't do the wrong thing. Cause these are not volunteers. These are, you know, paid staff and there could potentially be legal liability. And of course some of them were absolutely gracious and they're, and they're still with us and I, I appreciate them, but that was a really difficult thing to navigate. Uh, We had some really hideous technical challenges right after we passed um, a plan, right? A strategic plan that we were going to follow through to build membership, to do this, to do that, XYZ. Someone on the board came in and made a motion to move us from one CRM to another, to to move a good chunk of our data that was in a program called Razor's Edge over to Civi CRM. And it was a failure. It was a huge failure. Um, You know, I passed the gavel and that that meeting and I argued against it. I said, this is, you know, we don't have enough data. Uh, you've given us pie graphs, which um, if you're a data, like a tech person, that's a meaningless graph. That's a kindergarten graph. You haven't shown us how much money we can make. We don't know what our potential losses are. Um, what if something goes wrong technically? And and it did, and it was a lot more things going wrong than than former staff anticipated. And it was a huge nightmare. It uh, cost us a, a tremendous chunk of revenue. Um, we're still cleaning up the mess, but we've at least overcome, you know, the worst challenges of it. And we're very close. Um, what else, you know, what other challenges? And then I'll I'll jump to the good stuff. You know, I think that the party institutionally had an inability to think long term because we don't have as much electoral success, especially not in the last, you know, 10 to 12 years. Uh, we prioritize internal party wins, like chair, like LNC board, uh, instead of prioritizing external party uh, elections, and and so we're always fighting to see who's going to be the next uh, person in charge. Which means that there's no continuity. Things change, things change. You know, when I came in, there was no institutional memory, like zero. And sure, I could be mad at the previous chair for that, but if we had proper institutional memory, we would have had a, what a one year gap in institutional memory from the prior chair uh, who didn't even chair the entire term, you know, it wasn't two years, it was about a year. Uh, and then I would have had everything else. We didn't have that. Um, I think I dug through Lpedia. I looked at old staff reports, but there is no succession plan. and that's not the right way to do it. You know, when I am no longer chair, whether it's someone who I want to take my place and I've endorsed or whether I lose an election or whatever, I'll be sure that whoever it is who takes my place understands that here's what staff has been doing. You know, this, these are the successes and failures that we've had internally. This is what makes money. This is what doesn't like that just didn't exist. Uh, the former executive director gave me a brief, you know, drink from the fire hose rundown over, um. You know, a period of several days, but he, even he didn't have things written down. It was just very little. So that's a real problem. And I think that it's an institutional problem. We have to kind of like decide that we want to overcome that because we want to be successful, because we need that problem to resolve if we want to win external elections. um You know, another problem that we have is all of our members have very different ideas about what libertarians should be doing, what the party should be doing, uh, what matters most, what's the most libertarian or the most important libertarian cause. And we have very high standards and they're just all over the place. So it can be difficult when you're reaching out to donors to pledge promise, commit to them that X, Y, and Z will happen because everything is changing and everybody has a different um, opinion. You know, sometimes I'll reach out to donors and, you know, I'm- what, you know, what do you, what would you like to see the party accomplish in 2024? And they're like, they have TDS and they're like, just anything except Donald Trump in the white house. I'm like, what about like war, the economy, inflation? They're like, no, I just hate Donald Trump. Okay. You know, and then you have people who are just like, you know, what, what can I do for you? I, you know, I just, I've been a longtime supporter. What is it? You know what? I just want to see more libertarians get elected, maybe at the local level. Uh, you know, the most important thing for me is war. Thank you for opposing war or, oh, it's inflation. It's, it can be very varied. Um, and that's a, you know, that can be a good thing. But when people are very emotional about it and demanding, it can be challenging. Um, it's difficult to please everyone. But I Let think me that, to say real quick, there was a gentleman. He said that he strongly
0: recommends everyone use free open source software, AI encrypted, offline, decentralized as much as possible, 95%. There, I don't know if you can see it on the screen there, what he wrote. Yep. Uh, okay. So he said that, or have y'all discussed
1: using AI to, to try to help speed up? Um, so, yeah, we, we have several, we are moving CRMs. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, we've had, it's, it's, uh, It's not quite so simple as just use AI. You know, we're certainly going to be incorporating certain elements of AI into our fundraising appeals and streamlining uh, staff processes so they can work a little bit faster and more efficiently. But when it comes to the the CRMs, like they've got to be highly customizable and they've got to be very granular in, in what we can do because, you know, membership dates, different types of memberships, all of that, that has not been taken care of very well. It's kind of been all over the place. It hasn't been documented very well. Um, people come in and they do like little Band-Aid code and then someone else does a Band-Aid code and things just get all jumbled and then you go and you try to fix something and then it breaks something else and then it breaks something else. So customizable, very important, but it also really matters the way that you customize things. So, you know, we've looked at a couple of vendors, HubSpot, Zoho, uh, a handful of others, and and we'll be moving um, the National Party CRM to a new CRM that's recommended by my staff, but also by the IS committee. I need to make sure that I have um, a handful of highly competent people who are who are making the call on that. Now for state affiliates who use Civi CRM, we're not tearing the rug up from under anyone. We're gonna have at least two years where we continue to service Civi CRM full time. And if that sounds like insane and like too much work, you're correct, we're already behind on our um, upkeep of the CRM. It is a hot mess, as I mentioned. But when we switch the national party operations, we're not going to be doing that upkeep on our own. Oh, no, we have a third party vendor who will be servicing us. So I won't have my technical staff spending all day trying to solve problems, trying to hard code things. That's no longer an issue for the national party. They will be focused on servicing CiviCRM for our state affiliates. And at the end of the two year period, we're going to see where we're at with it. Um, I'm not ever going to recommend that we just shut, shut it down and turn the lights off. We may continue the program if it becomes fixed and more profitable. We may um, develop a way to bring our state affiliates over to whatever we're using at that time. Or we may um, end up selling it to some of the state affiliates if they decide that they want to resume, assume responsibility for it. And, you know, then they can create their own organization. But whatever it is, you know, it's going to be a two year process and we'll make sure we have Lots of input on it. I can tell you,
2: uh, being a PSA state chair, that we're already looking at different vendors because it's so hard. Uh, we've, we've discussed it already. So a couple of them that you said are actually something were run out. So we haven't made a final decision on that yet, but definitely CRM with it. It's been terrible and we're trying to find a way to things easier on people to get the best job
1: so. i can hear you but not super well i'm trying to listen you're you're a state um a chair was, and you're looking to move crms
2: i a past state chair uh, we're looking at moving away from crm also so it's it's too hard it's been too hard for people to keep up with trying to get everything the best
1: so yeah yep
2: but so we mentioned for
1: our discussion today, so. Makes sense. So um, let me talk though about some of the successes that we've had. Uh, we talked about, yeah, I see this comment. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, me too. So we we talked about the successes of last year's rally, and that was really amazing. Um, we have LP Masterclass going on right now. We've had we're doing a ton of candidate trainings this year. We have LP Masterclass happening right now. Prior to that, I did a training um, that was put on by United Independence, which is like a United. Um, it's a coalition group for independent candidates and third parties, and so we did we had candidate and activist training available through that. That started in. October. We have LP News. I don't know if anybody's visited it yet, but if you go to news.lp.org, we have a libertarian news site. It's amazing. It looks sort of like the fee online's old, uh, old website. Uh, you can submit articles there as long as they're written, you know, professional quality, uh, like 500 to 800 words. You can advertise on the site. Uh, articles will always stay there. They'll just, as they get older, fall to the bottom of the site. And so it'll be amazing. You know, maybe we'll be able to compete with uh, Reason Magazine and um, we'll have a news site that's actually complimentary and friendly to libertarian candidates in the party. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, we have a beautiful news store. Um shop.lp.org that our wonderful uh, volunteer Carrie Eiler and our uh, marketing contractor Matt Hudson put together. Tons of merch, seasonal merch too. She just put up some awesome Valentine's uh, Libertarian merch right now with little candy hearts that say small gov, no gov, things like that. Um, That's been a great moneymaker and really fun. We had 39 candidates elected last year, and I think a couple have been appointed since then. And that's really, really great, considering that that's an off year, 2023. We've had some new hires. I'm about to hire a new political director, uh, Nathan Fatal, who will be doing uh, part-time consulting with candidates. The goal is to have two Zoom calls a month where candidates can jump on and ask him any sort of Q&A. He'll be giving campaign consulting on an ongoing basis and you know, emailing people and following up with them at his discretion um i'm super excited about all of that he'll be very available and also will be holding a institutional memory with it because he'll be documenting his notes and sharing it with everyone and with me and the rest of staff which is really important uh, we've also had several state affiliates who've done um they've introduced defend the guard legislation into their state houses and the legislation was actually like picked up and it passed through committee i believe most of them were just barely missed a vote in the house, but that's a really, uh, that's really cool considering that, that was like a first time attempt for most of our parties. So, you know, we've been engaging our members in policy. We have uh, a members only discord server as well, where you can find out what else is going on, uh, libertarian news, all that good stuff. What else? Um, the financials. So, you know, due to technical problems and, the ones that I'd mentioned, and I think a couple of other staffing issues, our finances were in pretty bad shape the first half of 2023. And I stepped into the role of executive director in August. So I've been filling the role of executive director pro bono. And in August, I believe we had monthly revenue of about $74,000. Now, to be fair, July and August are always poor months for political fundraising and for nonprofits. January is usually really rough too. In the summer people are going on vacation or they just went and so they don't have money. And in January, everybody just, you know, blew their, uh, blew their cash on Christmas presents. In September we passed, I believe we had like 103 or $105,000 in monthly revenue In October it shot up to 180 partially because people were, pushing to have their um their memberships in so that they can um increase the amount of delegates that they get you know for the upcoming convention the goal was 125 and we shot up to 180 in november we had 126000 dollars i believe in monthly revenue and in december i think it was or it was between let's see 144 it was around 140 to 145 thousand dollars in monthly revenue. So we have had a complete financial turnaround. Um, it's fantastic. It's really good news, and we're set to make at least 125 thousand dollars of this month as well. You know, my goal is that we start making, that we start hitting 125 k even without convention revenue. Right now, that's including it. Although I don't know that September and October included much of it, but um. Yeah. So financially, things have completely turned around. I'm very, uh, very happy about that. And uh, things are looking bright, you know. So so my vision for the future, right, is I want us to be focused on local elections. I want us to be winning and then sweeping at the local level. I want us to catch people off guard with that. Uh, I want us to build political experience and capital. So that then we can start picking off vulnerable county and seat races and 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 winning them. That I think is really important. I think we need more experience. I want us to begin crafting policy. I've spoken to a lot of our elected officials when I say, What do you need help with? They're like, Well, I mean, my job, right? Some of them sit in um small town councils where they don't really do a lot of policy wonk stuff, but some of them are they, you know, they have other busy bodies on their on their councils on their committees and they're trying to kind of you know combat that or oh okay someone proposed a new zoning thing and, and trying to understand like what's the impact on the community is this going to make it more libertarian or less libertarian so we need to begin um spitting out volunteers that know how to craft policy we need to dramatically increase our volunteer base uh, it's one of the reasons that i've hired nathan fatall is because he's so skilled at uh, drumming up volunteers he he worked with me on a uh, couple of tremendous volunteer efforts in the city and county of Los Angeles to overturn mandates and to fight lockdowns. And so I've seen the work that he's done and I'm very confident in it. Um, I want us to build huge banks of volunteers, people who are ready and willing to go out there and and um, make all the libertarian things that we want to see like happen. Um, and we need more rank and file membership. I want to see us turning more regular voters who, they haven't read Man my, my Economy and State. They don't know anything about Rothbard. I want to see these people turning libertarian, right? They're like, look, I don't have time to do all that. I'm very busy. I run a small business. I have kids. They have soccer practice. But my taxes were high. And so-and-so, you know, made me change the sign of my small business because they said it was some county code thing. And I'm tired of that crap. And so I'm going to vote libertarian. And we need people who vote lockstep Libertarian and who support the Libertarian Party and things of that nature, even if they don't have time to get educated, people who are just always going to support us. So, you know, my plan is to start creating more of those people, creating more volunteers, building um, wins at the local level and eventually building an infrastructure that will support a very serious uh, presidential race that that threatens the two parties, not, not just in a spoiler way, but in a, you know, we might actually win it this year kind of way. It's gonna take a lot of work, it's gonna take time. You know, my job is to lay the foundation for all of that and to hopefully pass it along to the next person who comes after me with with mentorship, you know, with proper tools, with institutional memory, with all the documentation they need so that we can succeed and succeed and succeed.
2: Any questions?
1: Do y'all have any questions? Yeah,
2: let me uh, disclaimer here, this is my first uh, libertarian meeting I've attended. Um, I served on my county school board for uh, two terms, and I've often wondered why I haven't seen many, if any, libertarian candidates uh, on the ballot at the local level. The problem that you run into if you don't have that that experience at the local level is you don't have the name recognition. Yep. You don't have the uh, the experience operating. Um, in a parliamentary sort of uh, you know, rubbish rules sort of environment. Uh, and, you know, I just often wonder why there hasn't been a whole lot of any more uh, libertarian uh, participation in local elections. For example, my school board, my county school board, we had uh, two uh, uh, incumbents that decided not to run again. And they only, there was only one candidate that ran in each of those districts, so it was unopposed. And I mean, yeah. that I mean, that would have been a perfect opportunity right there at least you know to have an opposing candidate to get that name recognition out there oh yeah i remember that person they ran for district one uh, school board at so um i'm not sure what the answer is again i'm a newbie so uh mm-hmm. i'm trying to rock the boat or anything but that's just a thought that i had i have uh, always have wondered why there aren't uh, you don't see libertarian candidates at the local level
1: well, you're correct. So there's a couple of reasons, right? One, there's not really enough of us. Two, two, we don't do a very good job of picking up the phone and trying to recruit people. Ted Brown in California used to do a very good job of this. He would call registered libertarians and say, hey, do you want to run for office in this position? The other problem, and I say this with love, is that a lot of our candidates get very excited about running for office. They get hyped up. They uh, envision themselves, you know, debating whoever it is, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Lindsey Graham, whoever, you know, (gasps) having their media moment and they run vanity races. And, you know, the reality is that mainstream media has contempt for us. They're not going to give us attention. when they occasionally give us attention, it's just negative attention, but they usually don't give us any attention at all. And so those races aren't as fruitful. Now, certainly we have to do some of some races like that to gain ballot access. And and we need those races and they're important. They support down ticket candidates and they support our presidential candidate as well. But we really do need to shift our focus quite a bit to local races because that's you know as you know if you've been on a on a school board like that's where you can make some serious changes it's at the local level well i think over time you begin to see success at higher levels once yes. you that base at the local level who then you know move up from the minors into the majors
2: to use a baseball analogy but um you know i think it's very important that you know baby steps um Build that base at the local level, get them uh, so that they get that name recognition, and then once you know, okay, run for the House delegate, run for the state senate. But um, yeah, I think it's—I just think it's very, very important to to get a get more folks involved at the local level, running for local office.
1: Absolutely agreed. Does anyone else have a
0: question? One question that I have, and this comes up from a lot of guys at my workplace, is I know we, like this year, we'll be selecting our next candidate for president. A lot of people are wondering, are we able to select our president earlier? Is there anything? Because that way we, because we already are behind the eight ball. Yep. When it comes to all of these issues that are coming up, But they're like, who's your candidate? I don't know. That's in May. Has there been any discussion moving it or moving the convention up earlier or even into like this year? Or I guess we should be, I should say
1: 2023. I've pushed really hard for us to move it up, even if it's just by a couple of weeks. The challenge is that Texas and I think Colorado have really um, late. It's a legal issue. Texas has to have their convention fairly late, like in April, uh, their state convention, and then they decide who their um, who their delegates are and, and ship them off. So if we hold it earlier in March or April, then we miss out on delegates from, from some of our key states. And so then they'd have to maybe have like a separate nominating convention or do it like the prior year, um, I agree, though. Ultimately, we have to figure out a way to do it earlier. You know, what I've pushed for the 2026 convention is I'm like, can we have it two weeks earlier? Like, can we just right. make like a little bit of incremental progress on it? Right. Because that is the
0: big thing. Another yeah. thing. That I've, and I don't even know if it ever gets talked about. But like if I go to work at five o'clock when I punch in and I turn on the television, uh, you'll see Adam and Eve sex toys, things of that nature, like infomercials. Have we ever yeah. discussed maybe doing infomercials? Because that's how Ross Perot, yep. I remember back in 92, he, I feel we should be, when we have our convention, we need to buy the ad. The reason media don't cover us is because we're not paying anything, giving them, we, it's a payola system. And For I sure. That. Um, and that's one thing that we're trying to do here. We want to have billboards. And that's our plan for this year. Is because we've got to start paying them so
1: they'll cover us. Has what type of talk have y'all had? We'll be doing electronic billboards. We'll be doing additional um, electronic advertising. There's like closed circuit television and smaller electronic billboards, uh, like things in like waiting rooms, shopping centers, that sort of advertising. We'll be doing. Podcast ads for top podcast. So basically if um who's an example I can throw out who's not speaking at our convention, if Joe Rogan, you know, was speaking, then we would run an ad on his podcast. So we'll be doing things like that to drive the people who are like interested in hearing our convention speakers to drive them to our convention. Okay. Um, we've already looked into the, Like, I already have, like, a whole, like, cost thing. And we're also going to do some ads on uh, conservative talk radio as well. Good. Because, I mean, I know we've got to go
0: through, like, the new media with social media, podcast, things of that nature. But there is still something to be said. When we had a governor back in 2013, Rob Sarvis, and he did the best. But everyone knew about Rob Sarvis because of me. But when they saw a television commercial, they went old got a real candidate it's like even though i even though he is a real candidate until they saw that tip that you know a newspaper clipping or yeah uh, the television you know so i wanted to see what you had going on there yeah
1: i will probably save um things for television until we have our candidate nominated because it is it is expensive um but i'm i'm a 100 percent in favor of doing it um You know, from my perspective, people will get nervous or anxious or like, oh, that's not a good way to spend money. Oh, what if we don't have it? And I look at it and I'm like, okay, so we got money in the bank account. Time to put it to use. Um, You know, we don't want to drain it down to zero. But if the dollars just like sit there and we never do anything and it just goes by year after year, like what is the point of that? That is not a good way to operate.
0: Mike Tormac he's running for you know seeking the nomination
1: mm-hmm.
0: he when he spoke to us one of his statements was if you've got a hundred thousand dollars in the bank account and you haven't spent it then you've already lost because he said we can't knock on because there's not enough of us to knock on all the doors yep. but we can get television newspaper podcasts whatever ads out there radio ads all that good stuff so
1: absolutely totally Go agree home.
0: I guess that, so I want to make sure anyone have any questions or we all good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'll, I'll look forward. I don't know if I'll be at the rally in February, but I will be at the national convention. So hopefully, you know, uh, do you know if there's anyone else that's declared that they're going to run for your chair, the chairship?
1: Um, Mark Rutherford from Indiana. not okay. the only other person so far. Um, Hannah Goodman is running for vice chair. Um, Andrew Watkins, um, who's from Virginia is still going to be on the LNC. If he gets elected, he's, he's running as an at-large member. Um, yeah. And, uh, Karen Ann Harlos is running for secretary. I'm not sure who's running for treasurer yet. Todd Hagopian has stated he's not, he doesn't intend to reseek at this time.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much once again, and, uh, good luck with the future. We'll see you soon.
1: Awesome. Thank you guys.
0: Well, okay. Well, there's Angela McCardle, the National Chair of the Libertarian Party. I want to thank her again for joining us at the Roanoke Valley Libertarians and just giving us some updates about the different things. And for all of you listening, I hope you've made it to the end because uh, without people like you, we wouldn't be here. So go to MaximumLibertarian.com and see how
2: you can help us out. So until next time, I'm Brian. See ya.